Hello and welcome to the Jewish Mother Me podcast. This is the podcast that ponders Jewish mothers should every home have one. Well, not really, not a Jewish mother per se, but could we do with a little bit of the wisdom, the madness, the paranoia, the elevating elements of the Jewish mother character, and can we import that into our lives? My name's Angela Epstein. Naomi Lopian. And Lynn Dover. And we have been on this journey so far through this podcast, wondering about the Jewish mothers who came before us and broadening it out into all sorts of things into the outside world as well. You don't have to be a mother. We don't care who you are, where you are or what star you were born under. But together, hopefully we'll all be a bit inspired and come out the other end of this and think, yeah, OK, that's put a bit of a spring in my step for the rest of the day. And today we're delighted to invite onto the podcast Dan Tannenbaum. Now, Dan, we have very expensive sound effects. As you can see, that was a drum roll. <laughs> we don't use that for everybody. Every expense spared. Welcome, Dan. Nice to have you along. Right. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Now, tell me something. Why are you a boy a Jewish mother should be proud of? Well, where, where do we begin? Um, so I've got a lovely Jewish mother, of course, called Janine. Um, and my, both my parents are from South Africa originally. And we live in a, in a tight-knit South African Jewish community in North London from a wave of people that left in the 80s. My mum can certainly be proud of me. She's, she's been there for me ever since day one. And I've always worked extremely hard and with my GCSEs, my A-levels. And, and I was um, deputy head boy of Emmanuel College. And today I'm, I'm 32 and, and run a successful digital marketing company. Okay, that's what we call, what's the word, the Yiddish word we're thinking of? Kvelling. I would ship a lot of nachas having a son like you, Dan, but you're my adopted one. <laughs> <laughs> Even before I knew the credentials, just why is he adopted? Because Dan, towards me, has been the epitome of kindness and patience to an old dinosaur from the Jurassic times. So Dan, tell us a little <laughs> bit before we go further and, and just while Noemi dabs away a tear <laughs> or two and clutches her pearls tightly to her neck. Um, tell us if you're on a sinking ship, tell us two of the most interesting things about yourself that people don't know. That's a great question on the spot. Um, well, look, um, I met Michael Jordan. That was great. Um, <laughs> definitely a highlight of my life. And I was, I also, as a student, worked as a Prince William lookalike and was, have even been on Good Morning Britain um, as a William lookalike. So oh. you, were, you were a Prince William lookalike. Were you just talent spotted as you randomly walked about North London picking up your bagels? Um, something like that. I mean, you could say it was a Prince William look like. I mean, I still look like the guy. It's not like you stop <laughs> looking like someone overnight. I think um, looking at you, you've got but, more um, hair than him. That's you know, for sure. Yes, that's the, that's that's one of the trade-offs. Do you really want to look like someone who's pretty famous and has you know great perks, but or do you want to keep your hair? And I think kind of being Jewish in your thirties, I, I pretty much prefer the hair right now. So um, I've always had a likeness to Prince William. It's certainly when he was young and we, we had very similar hair and we very similar height. And I think there was probably a turning point was when I went to Madame Tussauds um, when I was about 18. And, and I think a bunch of Chinese tourists went mad at my likeness to, to his statue. <laughs> um, and then I went traveling in South America when I was 18. And I think there's a, a small town in Peru who thinks they got visited by Prince William that summer. That's um, amazing. So um, an opportunity came up where EasyJet were running a competition. Someone put my face, they just sent a photo to and next thing you know I get a message on Facebook do you want to come on to Good Morning Britain and uh, and be on the show and I'm like yeah sure I'll be there and um, firstly let's talk how much appearance fees but yes I'll be there tell us about your Kate yeah I was I was assigned a lovely Kate um I uh, I've been with my girlfriend well my girlfriend I've been with my wife now I actually meant your wife years. not so you're not the kind of, Kate at the I had, time I had to kind of play it, I had to play it cool um but um on on, on TV 
But yes, I'm, I'm happily married my gorgeous wife, Samantha, um, and we actually recently had a boy. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. So let's spool back. I mean, one of the reasons that we invited Dan on today is we've talked uh, on one of our previous podcasts, which you can find all across all the different platforms, such as Spotify, etc., about whether to push or whether to pull when it comes to raising children. And we've talked about it from the parental perspective. But tell us, Dan, as a young, successful businessman, because you don't often hear this perspective, were you pushed or were you pulled? And did you feel there were stereotypes that sort of drove the choices you made when you left school? Yes, 100%. I think um, being in a, in a tight-knit Jewish community, I think people are incredibly competitive. And I think to a degree, you almost kind of sit there on Friday nights talking about well, what, what you're up to. And um, I, I don't think I was pushed too badly by my parents. And in fact, I think, if anything, they were very encouraging because I, I had excellent GCSEs and A-levels and was, was pretty much a shoo in to, to go work in banking or finance or, or be an accountant. And then when finishing university, I said, actually, I want to go work in, in, in startups. And, um, you know, 10, 11 years ago, startups were just not a thing. Today, I think like a, a, about half of kids who finish university work for startups. But then it was nothing. It was considered a bit of a high risk, crazy job. And I started working in basements and in garages and, and spare bedrooms of random people. I was barely earning anything because I just wanted to work in that industry. And it was very hard sitting on a Friday night, you know, when you've got you know, one kid there who's just started KPMG and they've just sent him to Chicago and now come back. And mm. one guy's training to be a lawyer and one girl's guy's working at Goldman Sachs. Um, and you, you sit there feeling a, a, a bit of an idiot because you've just been sitting in some guy's garage um, and, and earning peanuts. Um, so what was quite remarkable was my parents said, look, go, you're learning, you're passionate about it, just go for it. But more or less, we'll kind of give you a year. You know, you've got about a year to come up with something which shows growth. And, um, and, and that you're actually, you know, growing, uh, you know, your career um, and you're in a good environment. Otherwise, you know, I think it's fair to say you, you should probably be starting accountancy, even though even if you want to kind of do it part time. I kind of had this kind of vision that I could see that startups, that that's the kind of direction that that, it was, you know, the, the world was kind of going down just tech, tech, tech. Do you think it's a symptom of being some sort of community or um, minority community that um, parents push their children to do the sort of accounting lawyer doctor type route or do, where do you think it comes from? Yes I think very much so I think you know um, as Jews we've, we've had to move around a lot in life um, you know in order to find better economic opportunities and I think uh, our parents or, or grandparents in the Jewish community have probably really worked the hard they probably worked very hard um, long hours, built up businesses, probably overcompensated just to kind of maintain a bit of a middle class. But now the generations, my generations and the one below me are feeling quite comfortable and are saying, look, mom, dad, do I really have to work as hard as you did? Do I have to go work in, in kind of very long hours as an accountant, as a lawyer? Can't I pursue something I'm more passionate about? But I take the point about the label. I mean, Noemi, you you went for a label when you when you <laughs> left school. You were you qualified as a as a doctor. What what Dan is saying to you does that chime with you in any way that you felt so, you followed really what what you felt was a an emotional path as much as anything else? I had two uh, roles or maybe three roles driving me. One was to emulate my dad. Two was always to help people. Of course, there are many ways we can help people. And uh, three was my mother saying, as a single mum, have a qualification. It doesn't matter what you do, but have education because nobody can take education away from you. So education was always very high up. Today, as a mum myself, I would just say, be confident. 
because if you have confidence, you can get by in life. I also mm. think that there are far more opportunities out there for, for young Jewish people that probably weren't open before because we are, in law anyway, protected. So our religious freedoms are protected, whereas they weren't before. So yes, that might be something, a reason that you can feel free to do what you want to as well a little bit more than our ancestors. Dan, by the way, what, what did you study and where? I studied at Nottingham and mm-hmm. I studied business management, Spanish and French. And I, and I got a first class degree with that kind of you know, Nottingham Business School is like a top five business school in the country. So you, you are kind of in a good position to drive to a, a KPMG, a PwC or an investment bank. Um, so I almost kind of went off route. But I think the point I'm kind of trying to come around that is, you know, not not an easy place for, for young people, 21, 22, trying to find the, the, the right job for them. Mm. And um, there is still that pressure of, you know, well, what are you going to do? You're going to be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or something along those lines. But I'm now 32 and I've, I've got my own business. It's being run by various people. And I've got probably doing better than an accountant or a lawyer financially. But also I've got you know, the quality of life. Uh, you know, a lot of my lawyer friends don't get to see their small kids because they have to work such long hours. They've got to commute in and out. I can pretty much finish whenever I want. And I think that's the kind of intensity that work-life balance we should be trying to present to our kids. What What about your parents? Did they both work? What do they do? Yeah, so my, my dad's an accountant <laughs> and very successful one. So his kind of, you know, he's very, very black and white. He sees things very kind of structurally and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and my mum is an interior designer, so uh, I always quote how I, I went to, to Freshers Week at, at Nottingham with like the most like pimped out room you've ever seen with like a moleskin rug <laughs> <laughs> and like a throw on your bed where there's barely like room to stand. There's the Jewish you, mother you still for you. Have, yeah. Absolutely. You've still got to have some kind of, you know, coffee table. You know, how can you not have a coffee table in your hall room, right? What's about you know? a green plant? So, <laughs> <laughs> And so, I bet um, the students yeah, loved coming to you, felt like home. Your mum made it home, made that little, transported North London into your student accommodation, Dan, and her Jewish heart, for sure. Absolutely, spot on. So you have a um, creative so, and professional inputs into your genetics, so maybe that's helped you take yeah, a slightly very, different path. Very possibly. But yeah, what's really quite interesting, though, is my daughter is, is three years old, and now we're starting to look at primary schools and prep schools and that kind of thing. But when they talk about kind of notable alumni, whilst we're going to be sending her to a private school, and you know, we spoke about other minority communities, and there's no question that the majority of parents who are looking are people of, of ethnic minorities. So they're, they're sending them to those kind of schools because they want their kids to be doctors or lawyers or accountants. But whenever the schools and the headmasters and headmistress talk about notable alumni, they're talking about the musicians, the artists, the actors. And these are people who have actually pursued kind of passions and talents. And actually, that's what I find is quite contrasting. You're sending, this school, you're sending your kid to the school to be a doctor, but actually, the ones they're highlighting are the more creative ones. You don't get an Oscar for being a doctor or an accountant. You've touched on the work-life balance, and often it was predominantly a female conversation. I always say this uh, ad nauseum, but biology doesn't make us unequal, it makes us different. And when a woman physically has a baby, that you know the hormonal rush, the whole change of the way she feels, uh, may reorientate her, her career goals. But the work-life balance has become something of a conversation now, people working remotely, people wondering whether they need to be in the office. But you were thinking about work-life balance before all this, you're saying. That's interesting. Yes. So, you know, I think this, this kind of 
millionaire.com lifestyle is is a bit of a fantasy and, and i think people who've you know who work proper jobs kind of roll their eyes when they hear it but you know the internet is it, it it's so it just facilitates things so so much easier and you know if you are running things online you know it does allow you to have a better work-life balance so i i really like the idea of, of having a digital business and to be honest we've actually worked remotely for, for seven years my company you know we've got we've got 15 staff but everyone's remote so we've always tried to have that work-life balance and I just kind of had this vision that, look, the trains are too busy. There's too much traffic in London. It's just too many people. We need to start, you know, we need to adapt to working at home and, and just being able to enjoy ourselves more. So we were maybe a bit ahead of the curve. And I've got the kids. I really value it. Tell us about your domestic setup. Do you work from home? Yes, I've always worked from home in, in, a, in a spare room. It started on the kitchen table, but now we've got two kids, I'm, I'm in a spare room. Um, my wife is a dentist. You know, she was full time now, she's, you know, two days a week. So you've basically subverted what was a traditional norm, which was the man went out to work and could be in a location. And the woman would often choose things that would make her closer to home, school run, whatever. And you've sort of almost subverted that. Yes, I, I'd like to believe so. And actually, when I look at our circle of friends, you know, a lot of the dads are very hands-on. They're working full days, they're cooking dinner, they're um, taking kids to school, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's it's very kind of postmodern, as, as you might say. But what actually is really interesting, this this also ties in nicely with having a Jewish mother, is um, I, I went to a school which was very, which was quite far away, and it was an, an outstanding education. And my mum would would schlep me back and forth. We're, we're talking kind of to take me in the mornings, probably like a two-hour round trip. I got a fantastic education, so that was kind of her sacrifice, and that kind of set me for life. You appreciate it now when once you've got more kids of your own. Obviously, you you have gone your own way. You've defied the stereotype. I mean, of of the kind of get your label, get yourself a um, as Noemi said, education is portable. Know that your what your way in the world will be, how you can earn a living. Um, you've established a, a very successful company with very encouraging parents. So, what about you and your parenting? Do you find yourself because of your modern setup that there isn't a Jewish mother role? It's become a Jewish parent role because you and your wife kind of morph into one yes I, I would say so and um you know and even my wife has different styles of parenting because of what she grew up with as well you know her my wife's family is probably a bit stricter and um you know my, my family's probably a lot more relaxed you know there's very bubbly south african kind of lifestyle will bust out a conga line in the middle of the afternoon for no reason that's my family and also we're a massive family both my parents have three siblings whereas my, my wife maybe only has a handful of cousins so but very two very very different kind of families but I think um, I, I'll be I'm more Jewish and more religious than my wife so I'll probably doing a lot more of the Jewish stuff with our daughter and our son so that, that's where that's where I kind of see some some initial differences. Does that create um, an interesting dynamic that that one of you is more religious than the other? And therefore, you've put the Jewish into Jewish mother, if you like. <laughs> I've always been a Jewish mother at heart. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it'll be interesting when our, when our daughter wants to try eating bacon or, or shellfish or something for the first time and be like, you know, can, can I eat this? Um, and my wife will probably say, well, if you want it, go for it. But I'll be like, no, 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 stand back, stand back, approach mm -hmm. with caution. 
So that, that, that might be an interesting conversation. But I've also got to kind of realize that I didn't want my parents to, to treat me and I've got two lovely sisters, but I didn't want her to, them to, I didn't want us to all be treated the same because we're all, we're all different personalities. So I might have one kid who's very passionate about Judaism and one who isn't. You've got to, I've just got to kind of let them make their own decisions. Did your parents, uh, obviously a, a seminal part of, of your life is the whole point of, is the relationship. Um, my my father-in-law said to my husband um, when he was younger, uh, pre-marriage, if you want to know what the girl's going to be like, look at the mother. Um, Martin says he was shafted. Um, but, the- <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh yes, but that's for another podcast. Um, did you, bearing in mind the influence of the Jewish mother, did you carry any of that in your mind when you were drawn to your wife or where you believed what you wanted? Because there is a kind of, a, a, sometimes there's a, a line of thinking that is does, is a boy drawn to the, the Jewish mother kind of figure or was or, or did you look to her mother? Was Did that in any way have any influence over you? I, I think for me it probably did not. You know, we've been together since we were 18, um, so I, I don't think those were necessarily characteristics that I was I was kind of looking for. But it is interesting because obviously, you know, I'm in my 30s and I, I have some friends who are single who are looking for kind of mothers. You know, they're looking to marry someone and who will be the father of their kids. So, you know, I, I suppose your your tastes or requirements change quite differently when you get a bit older. So, Dan, if you are now sort of thinking about what advice you could give to, it doesn't matter whether they're being Jewish parented, non-Jewish parented, um, who are sort of thinking about making their own way and going forward. As Noemi said, you know, she just wanted her kids to be confident. What do you think you will be telling your, your children, please God, in the fullness of time, about the direction that they will want to go in? So here's my moment of truth. Here's my power moment. I think, you know, obviously my, my, my daughter will be starting school and, uh, you know, you obviously want them to be good academically. You want them to do really well. But I'm kind of seeing the results 20 years later, you know, or 30 years later of, of schools and that kind of thing. And it seems that the most academic pupils, the ones who really excelled, have now got to 30 and have either burnt out because they ended up working so hard that they, they can't maintain it, or it's impacted their health because they've had to work, they've had to work so hard, or they're, they're in kind of very high-pressure jobs, which maybe are actually making them quite sad. You know, not all. Some are very fulfilled by some door, but some are, some when some are so academic or so smart, they almost can't do something fun and, or interesting and creative or work in a startup or a tech environment because they've got too much to lose. They've got top grades their whole life. It only makes sense for them to be a doctor or to work in corporate or something like that. And I think now that I'm approaching parenting in a different way, I want to just kind of see my, my kid working hard at things they're very passionate about. And I won't be too upset if they're not the best pupil. I wouldn't be too upset if they're in the middle or even at the bottom, as long as they're always just trying and trying and, and passionate about things. And actually, funnily enough, when I look at kind of peers and alumni of the schools I went to, some of the most successful ones are actually the ones who are kind of in the middle, who are kind of hardworking and confident. And when they actually have a chance to, to express themselves by setting up a business, those are actually the ones who, who are doing the best. And the ones running all the startups are not the top pupils. They're the ones who are kind of maybe the bottom, maybe the middle, maybe just in the average kind of thing so that, that's kind of how I'm approaching it it's not the end of the world if they don't get good grades but it is important for them to work hard and be passionate so your definition of a success is not financial it's more to do with contentment and satisfaction rather than 
how how big your bank balance is and how many holidays a year you might have. I think you can have both. My view is that if I was doing well financially, then I could take off as much time as I want. But I think if you're in a high pressure job, you, you have to sometimes work even harder to maintain that. Goes to the wisdom of what true happiness is and true contentment, and maybe leads to one of our famous Jewish sayings: "Is he who is rich is happy with his lot." And Dan, if you could speak to your teenage self. Would you have anything to advise him or do any different or even be the same and just encourage what the experience that you did have? I think um, to follow my hunches, um, you know, because it's very easy for, for your parents to obviously give advice because they're the ones you look to for advice. But it was very different 30 years ago, you know, like getting on the property ladder or even just how jobs worked. You know, you, did, mm. you used to work for people. That's how it worked. You got a job. But today, people start their own jobs. They create jobs. They, they're, you know, self-employed people starting businesses. That's just through the roof. So I think mm -hmm. sticking with my hunches was valuable, or taking parental advice, you know, but still, you know, taking it seriously, but also still following your own your own guides. And that took guts. Dan, we've really enjoyed speaking to you and uh, you very nicely sort of finished on a point that we touch on uh, every time we record the podcast, which is we talk about takeaway wisdom. Uh, you've given some excellent sort of pointers that you'd give to your younger self, but just in a few words, if there were pieces of wisdom, the maternal wisdom or paternal wisdom that you got from your parents, is there something that you would sort of repeat and, and share with the rest of the world? I think there's just so many. I'm just trying to kind of pick one. Um, but... Uh, you know, the, the typical ones kind of just treat others how you'd like to be treated, e even just kind of don't take it too seriously. That's always quite a good one, actually. I think we can all get so caught up in our work or, or things that we're, we're kind of stressed about, but actually they don't often mean anything in the real world. I think every kind of person who works hard has their own stress from work, but actually doesn't really matter often. No. So I, I, I remember what my mum used to say, especially when I had GCSEs and I felt all this pressure. And she said, look, you can only do your best. I'll always remember that, getting out the car and into the into the gym to write the exam. Dan, you can only do your best. You can only do your best. And we really appreciate your time, Dan. It's uh, been really sort of fascinating to hear about, you know, the young person's perspective when you get older in terms of subverting the traditional norms that, that maybe some of us knew when we were growing up in terms of what our goals should be. So thank you so much for joining us. We wish you a hearty Mazal Tov or congratulations on the arrival of your, of your little Oscar. And uh, we send our best wishes to your wife and little girl. And uh, and that was Jewish Mother Me for this time. My name's Angela Epstein. Noemi Lopian. And Lynn Dover. You can find us on all the platforms that you use for your podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. And we would love to hear some of the conversations you might be having about the concept of Jewish mothers, the Jewish mothers you knew who came before you, or indeed not. Uh, maybe you just knew somebody that worked in your office. We want to hear all about it. You can send us a message through Facebook. And so until next time, we say thanks very much and do tune in soon. See you then. Bye.